Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, we've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. And whether you like it or not, your last act on earth is currently probably going to be one of pollution. And when you try so yeah. hard in your everyday life to live sustainably, organic produce, sustainably sourced clothing, you're offering a nice mm-hmm. option, natural, gentle, carbon neutral, regenerative, mm-hmm. you're being returned to nature. And that whole idea is so different to how things are currently done. And that really, really resonates. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. So, I got engaged over the weekend. What? I did that. Yeah, I didn't know if you were going to talk about that or not. So, yay, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't know if I was going to talk about it. (laughs) I'm very excited about my engagement. We are, too. We're really, really excited. It was really sweet because so I got engaged on Saturday, and then we had a very impromptu backyard bonfire on Sunday, and it was just such a beautiful fall day, and lots of friends and neighbors were able to come over. So that was fun. Felt like we already even had an engagement party. It was so fun, and I love the spontaneity of it. Oh, everybody just come over, and there there wasn't a lot of planning or yeah prepping. Just like, we just did it. It was really fun, and it was perfect fall weather, so yay. Yeah. And now that we started talking about 
the wedding or a wedding. It has been interesting in our conversations, and you and I have talked about this offline too, but just another opportunity to examine a system and an industry and everything that goes into it. And I'm excited about exploring the sustainable wedding thing through the lady farmer community and what that means. Yes. Yeah, which I don't know what that means right now. I mean, right now it means what even do we want to do? What kind of experience do we have? What money do we want to spend? You know, all these really, really big questions. But I think it's an interesting opportunity to look at how it relates to everything else we talk about. Yes, 100%. And my mind has certainly been churning around on this very topic. We talk so much about how our consumerist tendency, and when, when I say consumerist, I mean, we live in this society, we live in this culture, and there are just these go-to reactions. Well, you have this need, so you do this, so this is the way to go. And you and I have taken a close look at that for years now, and where there are options and where there are alternatives. So this is really where the rubber hits the road, where you really look at the choices that you're going to make and decide. And there's really no right or wrong to it. The industry's there for a reason. The services are there for reasons. And I think it's interesting because it's different than just how can we make it, and I'm using air quotes, like eco-friendly. It's like, yeah, we can pick little pieces out of the traditional wedding event thing and say, how can we make that more green? How can we make that more green, 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 green? And that's one way to look at it. And I'm sure that there will be elements of that. But I'm definitely thinking more zoomed out bigger picture because a lot of things actually unless you're using paper plates which is perfectly fine I've actually been to a wedding where they used compostable plates that was great <laughs> they composted everything and we did that at the lady farmer retreat one year you know compostable plates like there's ways to do that yeah I really think because of the nature of a wedding because people do want to make it special it's not filled with a bunch of single-use throwaway things so it's not right. necessarily what I'm talking about here but it's more what's energetically sustainable what financial financially feels okay and not stressful excessive excessive yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of excess which yes hey if you want to have excess it's your yeah. prerogative as well but what we have to pay attention to is when the excess actually takes a toll on our own energy exactly and i think you and i have both known and witnessed scenarios where the whole thing became such a stressor mm -hmm. a drain that it loses its essence yes the purpose is as a celebration and a blessing a launching so to speak and i guess the task is parsing down what contributes to that and eliminating what detracts from that so what is regenerative wedding versus a degenerative wedding <laughs> exactly because i've been to both yes in both oh my gosh especially over the past two years of covid of people reckoning with everything if you know what we're talking about feel free to call in and let us know Yes, this is rich. Yeah, this is a good convo. Rich with content. Would love to hear people's ideas, for lack of a better word at the moment, a sustainable wedding or options within the excessive consumerist wedding industry. How to just narrow it down into what's really important. So any ideas, suggestions, experiences. Some of you might say, I did this thing and it just felt so right. Some people might say, don't do this or that. 
Yeah. And understanding too, that the word excessive is totally relative, right? And very, very personal. Yeah. Relative, personal. And, and we know that. And no, we're casting no judgment here. There's definitely no, no judgment. good or bad way to do it or right or wrong way to do it. But using the metric of your own, you know, your own sort of internal. Yeah. Being really tuned into that and honest with that. Mm-hmm. Like being able to listen to your own inner voice when you say, yeah, this dress is gorgeous and everything, but really feels like spending too much money or this dress is a lot of money, but it really is what I want and I have the budget for it. So this is yeah. what I'm going to do. All those things are okay and everything in between. Yeah. So you're okay here. <laughs> you're okay here on the Good Dirt Podcast. <laughs> It's also interesting because this also came up in our conversation last night, Mom. We were talking about this. There's another life event that falls into this category of this is it's what we do. It has to do with today's episode. This came up. If you remember, we said, you know, weddings, this and this. People expect this and this. You spend all this money. Also funerals. Yes. True. Not to like bring it way down. That's actually, it's okay. Funerals is just as much a part of life as weddings. In fact, it was just about a year ago right now, like right around Halloween that we had another funeral episode. It was Heidi Hennepel of Blue Stem Conservation Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about green burial as an alternative to the practices in the, the current funeral industry. So really very, very related. Mm-hmm. And I will share here that I think that episode had a real effect on me and that It really got me thinking on the topic in a way that I hadn't before. This is the green burial topic that we talked about in that show. In retrospect, I think that the time of the year really enhanced that impact because I remember after that conversation, I would be walking in the meadow in the woods around here like I do every day. And I was really seeing and feeling the waning of the year in the same way that humans have done for millennia. And apart from all the technology and the mechanization and the concrete off in the woods. And I think when we embrace slow living through the seasons, which is something of a mantra here at Lady Farmer, we can allow ourselves to cultivate this one in the sameness with nature and be immersed in it to the degree that death begins to feel not so much like an ending, but simply as part of the same cycle of birth and marriage and funerals and weddings. It's all part of a cycle. It's really lovely. And I think really true too. We have a bonus episode on Halloween. It should be live by the time this is aired. But in that episode, we touch on some of the aspects of this season in ancient traditions and folklore and many of those which have passed through to today, to our own cultural celebrations. And I think that if we understand the origins of some of these things, it can help us witness and experience this cycle in a deeper way. And it makes the whole discussion on more sustainable death practices just seem so normal and actually rather comforting in a way. We're also talking about folklore in the almanac right now. So if you are interested in reading more about what we're talking about and just being a part of this conversation further, like you just said so beautifully, mom living more deeply with the seasons by understanding sort of the context of all these things and our ancestors who came before us, feel free to join us in the almanac. Please do. We would love to have you. You just go to ladyfarmer.com dot com slash community. You can also click the link in the show notes. And your membership in the Almanac is really what keeps this podcast going. So we really appreciate your membership. And we also just love having you there. We've had a few new members lately. It's so fun to see new faces and to hear your stories about where you're coming from. And it truly 
is such a great community. I look forward to every time I get to see y'all's faces and hear from you guys in the discussion. Your participation or visibility within the community, interactions, I should say, is 100% up to you. You might want to join and just be a silent observer, read the articles, read the comments, and you don't have to be forward-facing in there. We love for you to do that. But it's not a requirement. You can just treat it like a magazine if you want. Yeah. It's full of really great content, if I do say so myself. Don't you think, Emma? I do. <laughs> we can brag a little bit. Every week we put up things that come from our own experience and our own passion and our own observations. And we really, really have a heart, as they say, to share these things out there. And we do. And the Almanac is our outlet for that as well as this podcast. And oh, thank you all for being here for all of it. We really appreciate it. So why do you think we would have a podcast episode about funerals on the good dirt, even though you, you put it so well earlier, mom? This one specifically has to do with soil transformation. So what does soil transformation have to do with death care and burial? What does it share in common with the green burial movement? And how is it different? So Soil transformation and green burial, two different, I wouldn't even say two different sides of the same coin, but two different parts of the same conversation. And Tom Harris, who is our guest today, has been innovating in the funeral industry for almost a decade. And in this conversation, he tells us not only about his carbon neutral alternative to burial or cremation, but also about how his company is providing a more sustainable and modern alternative to all aspects of conventional death care. So here is Tom Harris. He is the co-founder and CEO of Earth, a sustainable funeral brand specializing in soil transformation. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We certainly enjoyed the conversation. So here's Tom. So my name is Tom Harris. I'm originally from the UK and I've been in the US for about five years now. And I'm currently the co-founder and CEO of a company called Earth. And we are pioneering a sustainable death care industry with a combination of biotech and consumer software. Been in this space for a little while now, almost a decade. Fell into it. I think a lot of people go into it either as a lifelong passion or, or part of the family business, but really fell into it after the death of a grandparent about 10 years ago. And watching the process that we went through as a family. Specifically, I remember going to this funeral and seeing the three, 400 people who were there and being really surprised by how they'd found out about it. Probably 80% of people had found out about it in a newspaper announcement, which is probably the most inefficient way to inform anyone of anything. Very hit and miss. But this whole generation checks the newspaper every single day, seeing whether their friends have died. So it got me really interested in the space. I tried various different business ideas prior to that, none of which were particularly creative. And what we ended up building was the most efficient way to inform family and friends of funeral arrangements. It's replacing the newspaper, replacing emotional phone calls, replacing piecing together emails word of mouth, that sort of thing, and made it very quick and easy to disseminate funeral information. So kind of like a Facebook event of sorts, if you can remember what they were. I feel like that even Facebook events are somewhat antiquated at this point, but it was the sort of early evolution of the online obituary, which is now very commonplace. But even 10 years ago, particularly in the UK, was not much of a thing. So that was my first foray. I ended up in a bit of a, a funeral rabbit hole. 
that I'm uh, yet re-emerged from. But that company led into a company called Tulip, which we grew to become the largest online funeral brand in the United States. That was based out of California, operates in about 10 states across the country and has looked after tens and tens of thousands of families at this point. Tulip was very much a digital first company, never met a single family in person. And that sort of led me to where I am today in terms of Earth. Earth is merging of, I'm going to say the word trend, but I don't really mean trend. They're, they're sort of important consumer changes that need to happen, but sustainability and digitization of traditional industries. So making the products and services that we buy and use friendly to the environment versus actively polluting them, which is traditional death care. We can go on to that more in a minute, but also making the means of making and managing arrangements as simple as possible, because that's also been a pretty antiquated experience historically in the funeral space. So interesting. I had no idea that it started with the logistics side of death and funerals, which is not, I guess, what we think of first. So I guess your aha moment was yeah. at this grandparents' funeral and you looked around and you said, how do all these people find out about it? And it was the newspaper. But I want to ask you, you said there were about 300 people there. Enough, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Definitely enough. I mean, I always think funerals are quite sad because you bring together everyone's friends family yeah. who they haven't seen for years and mm -hmm. the actual person who brings everyone together is not there mm -hmm. right so enough people but yeah it was the aha moment to get into the space for sure so your idea was that you wanted to make sure more people knew about the funeral take me down that rabbit hole a little bit make it as easy as possible so emotional phone calls piecing together emails newspaper announcements and word of mouth are the four primary methods of letting people know Newspaper announcements are really expensive. Right, right. That's true. Even local papers are several thousand dollars. And just making this, don't say effortless, but you've got enough hard stuff going on at this credibly raw emotional point in your life. Mm. Then we want to make some of the other parts as easy as possible. Okay, this is so weird. But the day we got your email, your original email, there was a death in our family that day. Mm. And it was a very sudden, unexpected death. And it was really really sad and really hard and that's what kind of what I'm thinking of mom like in that situation yes. everything that was going on with that mm -hmm. I mean that's what he's talking about right and I also remember them saying now that you're saying this Tom that the announcement in the local paper was crazy expensive yeah. it was like so many dollars a word or something and they ended up going with kind of a more word of mouth thing and i mean the right people came people that needed to be there were there yeah and that's what we were replacing this expensive mm -hmm. newspaper pronouncement that some people may or may not see right mm -hmm. right replacing it with something where you could send flowers you could make in-memory donations you could leave memories you had an obituary you had pictures you had names dates you had all the logistical information where to be when to be how to get that how to contact mm -hmm. the funeral home if, if you needed to contact them so making that sort of logistics piece as simple as possible. This has sort of been what I spent my career doing at this point is making this whole process as easy as possible. And that's absolutely what we were doing with Tulip as well. One of my favorite stats, favorites may be the wrong word, but favorite stats is 70% of people are making funeral arrangements for the first time. So you're going through this really complex process at probably the most stressful moment in your life ever. Mm -hmm. And it's antiquated. It takes place in a very traditional funeral home setting. Mm -hmm. It's pretty opaque in terms of price. Industry, mm -hmm. I feel like, has always been a little bit notorious for that. And then you never really know what you're going to guess, and it's incredibly fragmented as an industry. 86% mm -hmm. of funeral homes in the US are independently owned. 19,000 funeral homes, which may not sound like that much. My favorite qualifier for this is there are more funeral homes in the US than McDonald's. <laughs> 
No way. Wow. That's a lot. And you see the McDonald's and Starbucks everywhere, but the few items just sort of blend into the background. So at a time when you really want to know what you're going to get, you're playing, you don't know the quality of service you're going to receive. Yeah, right. It's just a very unfamiliar time for people at a very emotionally charged time. So fast forward a little bit to where you got to this the soil transformation mm. piece of it, because that's what really, I mean, this is all about slow living and yeah. and also seeking alternative systems in our society. But this soil transformation piece is what really resonates with our good dirt theme. Yep, for sure. So how did you get there? I've always been looking at how we can apply the latest trends to the funeral space. Again, I keep on using trends. I don't like trends as a word because it sounds like it's a fad and it's not going to last. Sustainability is obviously not going anywhere and is a a super important thing that we need to do across every industry. But in this instance, with what we're working on, it's natural products and services. It's sustainable products and services. It's this digitization of traditional industries that I'm talking about. None of which has been catered for in the funeral space before. Again, funerals are very slow to keep up with other consumer changes. Yeah, it's not very sexy. It's not sexy. (laughs) Actually, the complete opposite to sexy, I think. We're okay with that. But actually, I think what we're doing relative to the traditional space is quite sexy. We're reframing how people think about death care. We're using death care as a means for ecological good in many senses. And we're talking about some of the benefits already without explaining what soil transformation is. But soil transformation at the highest level is an environmentally friendly alternative to burial and cremation. Instead of being cremated and turned into ash, you're being transformed into soil over a 45-day process. You get to keep portions of the soil as the family keep it, scatter it, plant it. And the remaining soil is getting sent to conservation land that we're acquiring to then restore and protect the future generations. So a really nice process. It's natural, it's gentle, it's carbon neutral versus 600 pounds of CO2 produced by cremation. It's actually 535 pounds, which is equivalent to a 600 mile car journey in terms of CO2. And it's a regenerative approach to death care. You're being returned to nature. You're getting returned to a beautiful piece of land. And this soil is being used for reforestation. It's been used for restoring soil health. It's been used for wildfire restoration. It's incredibly cool conceptually versus the functionalism of something like creation, which no one's ever been that excited by. It serves a purpose, but no one's excited by it. So a transformation seems to really resonate with people. I think there's this widespread assumption that cremation is the way to go and the most environmentally friendly because it saves space and you supposedly, I know this isn't 100% true, you can just spread the ashes anywhere and you, yep. you don't have to take up land to bury the person. And I think people just assume, oh, that's the environmentally friendly thing. And you rattled off some statistics there a minute ago, and I'm going to have you repeat that again because I think that people really would like to hear that. What the reality of the cremation process is in terms of the environment. Let's talk about existing feudal methods more broadly. quickly. Yes. Yeah. As a national average, it's about 55, 56% cremation at this point. This is very state driven. So somewhere like the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California, probably closer to 80, 85% plus. And then Southern states, the more traditional, perhaps more conservative, more religious states are still tending to bury a little bit more. That cremation rate as a national average is expected to get about 80% by 2035. That doesn't take into consideration new methods of disposition. The, the technical term for burial cremation itself is a method of disposition. It doesn't take into account new processes like soil transformation, which I really do believe will 
be a considerable part of the industry by 2030, 2035. But burial then is putting all sorts of harmful pollutants into the ground. Non-degradable wood, apparently that's a thing. Metal, concrete, embalming fluid, which is literally just toxic chemical. It's also an incredibly bad use of land. In the context of 330 million deaths over the next 80 years in the US, you can't just keep people putting people into the ground because we don't have any space. Cremation, as you say, Mary, has been the environmentally friendly, at least being considered the environmentally friendly option mm -hmm. for however long. And that's been one of the big drivers towards cremation. It's been cost. We're decreasingly religious as a society. We're more transient. People don't necessarily want a, a fixed burial spot that they live on the other side of the country to, perhaps. Um, and then the other piece has been this environmental side of things. But in my mind, anything that's a fossil fuel-driven process that produces CO2, it's really not that environmentally friendly. So 535 pounds to re repeat that number, that's 535 pounds of CO2. As I say, that's equivalent to a 600 mile car journey. So that's San Francisco to Los Angeles and back in terms of CO2 emission. Wow. And whether you like it or not, your last act on earth is currently probably going to be one of pollution. And when you try so yeah. hard in your everyday life to live sustainably, organic produce, sustainably sourced clothing, if your final act on earth, it's very jarring to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you explain how soil transformation is carbon neutral and what that means? It's the science behind soil transformation is composting. So balancing carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and water, and then optimizing temperature and moisture levels. It's a completely natural process. We're not adding anything to it. So in our vessel, you have the body, you have a biodegradable shroud, then you have organic mulch, wood chip, and wildflower. And then over a 30 to 45 day process is microbially driven. So we're creating the perfect conditions for naturally occurring microbes to break the body down on a molecular level. Because it's natural, it doesn't rely on energy in the same way that cremation does. There's a little bit of CO2 produced from the process, but that's from the natural carbon cycle. There's carbon in our bodies, which comes from mm -hmm. the food we eat versus right. cremation, which is man-made CO2 because you're digging out fossil fuels to then incinerate and pump out into the atmosphere. So we are net carbon neutral. The carbon that is produced as part of this process is, as I say, just from the natural carbon cycle. And then we're producing a very nutrient-rich soil amendment. Soil sequesters carbon. Soil is critical for moderating global temperatures, for healthy ecosystems, for plant life, for wildlife, for so many things I don't think people realize, although I'm probably preaching mm -hmm. to the choir on the... Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like good dirt. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a composter? Like you put the body in a composter and like turn it? It's a little more sophisticated than that. Okay. <laughs> so we have a vessel. We've spent millions of dollars actually developing this vessel. So in this vessel, we're able to control temperature. We're able to control moisture. We are able to agitate it. And this is how we're able to accelerate what is otherwise, I mean, I say otherwise, it is a natural process. We're accelerating a natural process right. through this vessel. And the vessel itself looks very futuristic and very modern. I saw the picture. It looks, it looks like a pod. Yeah, it is a pod. Yeah. So you sell these to funeral homes? We sell direct to consumer. So we work okay. directly with families. We have a facility in Auburn, Washington, from where we are currently doing the process. We have plans to expand across the country over the next few years. We're also a licensed funeral home. So families can work directly with us. They can make arrangements. They can manage arrangements. We've also built a ton of consumer technology, again, with the goal of making arranging and managing as easy as possible. So you make all the arrangements online. You sign all the paperwork electronically. There's a portal through which you manage everything. 
real-time status updates, beautiful obituaries to share with family and friends. You can invite family members to collaborate so everyone knows what's going on at any given time. So really building a very 21st century experience around this whole process. And then we are also working with funeral homes or going to be. There are a lot of mm. people who still want traditional practice, but want the mm -hmm. method of disposition to be different. So people still might want a viewing, they still might want a service, they still might want to make the arrangements at their local funeral home. And the beauty of soil transformation is it ex coexists with every existing funeral ritual. It's just a direct swap out for the cremation component. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to where your clients come from. Mm. Did you say clients, customers? Do they come to you because they're looking for something different? Or are you out there selling this? And is it just these people in, you say Washington or Oregon? Yeah. So okay. we serve the Pacific Northwest at the moment. So from our facility, we serve Washington and we serve Oregon. In terms of how people find us, I think there's an increasing number of people. Actually, I say increasing number. I think there's always been a group of people who know they're not going to be buried, but they don't really want to be cremated. So we're offering a nice mm -hmm. option, natural, gentle, carbon neutral, regenerative. Mm -hmm. You're being returned to nature. So you've got people who are looking for something that's more natural, stuff that's more environmentally friendly. The idea of being returned to nature, we have a beautiful piece of land on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington, which is surrounded by mountains and trees, and it's been historically locked. So we're reforesting this land, we're planting trees, we're restoring it to its natural beauty. And that whole idea is so different to how things are currently done. And that really, really resonates. So several months ago, we interviewed another person who was involved in the green burial movement, mm. which is simply wrapping a shroud and yeah, reframing the burial practices, but ultimately ends up just literally just putting a body in the ground on yep. some sort of conserved land area. And what we found is most of their work was finding the land and it's like a park, like they're maintaining basically a conservancy. Yep. So that was really interesting to hear about. I'm wondering is how's, how is the soil transformation process different from simply burying a body in the ground? And what are the advantages of yep. the soil transformation process over other types of what is being called green burial, which I guess involves maybe a lot of different things? Yeah, we're completely pro green and natural burial. It's achieving the same thing. It's an environmentally friendly approach to death care. I think the challenge with green burial is there aren't that many green burial sites and the mm -hmm. regulation makes that really difficult. Mm -hmm. The places you can get it regulated then become yeah. not very convenient for the majority of people who tend to be more urban-centered. I'm going to make up this stat. I'm not making it up. I can't remember it fully. But I think it's something like 80% of the population live in an urban area. Okay. So actually not having green burial sites okay. anywhere near urban areas makes them quite difficult and impractical for the majority of people. And it's also similar to the whole argument against traditional burial, one of the arguments against traditional burial, which maybe it's not the best use of land. Again, mm -hmm. 330 million deaths over the next 80 years mm -hmm. just in the US. Mm -hmm. Seven, wow. eight billion people die around the world over the next 80 years. We can't keep putting people in the ground. There isn't room for it. So where soil transformation has benefits then is, mm -hmm. well, let's start similarities. It's natural, it's sustainable, you've got return to nature peace, but it's much better for the urban consumer because it takes place somewhere mm. near population centers. The soil is being used to restore land. There's this regenerative angle. You've got this memorialization component. A lot of people don't want to be buried anymore. I think the one thing that cremation has done has shifted mindsets away from being buried. So I think we're very analogous to cremation, but a, mm -hmm. a, a nicer alternative perhaps.
So does the family get a little urn of soil? So there's a reasonable amount of soil produced. It's probably about half to a full cubic yard of soil. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I never thought about how much soil a human is. That's a lot. Which is actually quite a lot of soil, which is why we return portions, because actually most people don't want a cubic yard of soil. I know that for buying mulch. (laughs) (laughs) It is a lot of soil. Yeah, and that's why we have this conservation land, because we have all this soil and we can use it for productive and regenerative purposes. And yeah, the family gets this an equivalent of sorts. So it's a biodegradable container in which you've got the soil. And the beauty of this versus cremation is you can have soil for the whole family pretty much. Everyone who wants a portion of soil receives a portion of the soil. Any remaining soil goes to the Olympic Peninsula. I guess my question is like, can people go visit? Yeah. Yeah. So this piece of land at the moment is undergoing early restoration work and then we'll be opening it up to not the public per se but families whose loved ones have been scattered there in 823 so yeah you can go you can go and go for a hike go for a walk explore enjoy the natural surrounding and it's only open for families of people whose soil has been added to the land there pretty much yeah that's really beautiful, and I'm getting my head around all this now. So what's eye-opening to me is the literal volume we're talking about, the volume of the soil created from the soil transformation versus yep. the space of the land taken up by simply burial and green burials, just putting a body in a shroud and burying it. Did you say 330 million deaths worldwide? U.S. U.S. Or U.S.? U.S. U.S. in the next how many years did you say? 80 years. 80 years. Okay. So has anybody done the math on how much land that actually is? How many acres? Or that would be an interesting statistic. My math is not quick enough to do my head, but. (laughs) Yeah. It's also over 80 years. So it's like, you know, and I don't know how long it takes. In the last one we did, she might have said how long it takes for a body to like break down. Right. Do you know? With natural burial, say with traditional burial, you can't just keep using the same land. Yeah. And then also these natural burial sites, one of the unspoken environmental costs of traditional burial, I'm not sure how this applies to green burial, is watering and keeping this land Mm. or cemetery. Right. It's like a golf course. Yeah, it is like a golf course. I think that's the biggest cost to running a cemetery is, is the water. And the mowing. And the mowing. I recently became aware of this. And mowing, you can get the data on how much carbon is released in the environment just from the lawnmowers of a cemetery. Wow. And it's like staggering. Interesting. I never even thought of that. It's amazing how these little things add up. I know. Yes. Direct CO2 calculation, but it's all the, not even that peripheral when you do it in totality, I don't think. In fact, there was a point where cemeteries started putting the plaques at ground level rather than like headstones. The headstones. Easy to mow. Because it's much easier to mow. Interesting. That's so funny. I'm not a cemetery man coming from the Croatian world. And yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think they're probably pretty fascinating businesses. And Well, this is very, very interesting that comparing green burial with the soil transformation. Now, the soil that actually is a result yeah. of this process, is it super rich? I mean, is it really high octane <laughs> compost or is it unhealthy? <laughs> Humans are weird stuff. Tell us about the actual makeup of this actual dirt yeah. soil, the good dirt that you get. It's very regulated as an industry in terms of the mm-hmm. quality of soil that you're producing. And fairly so, you can't just return anything to nature because that's actually probably doing more damage than good. And also we're returning soil to families too. So we're looking at things like moisture content, 
we're looking at things like carbon to nitrogen ratio. We do a Solvita score, which is a sort of a gauge of quality of output you've produced. It looks at NH3, which is ammonia and CO2, and it tells you how mature and stable your end product is. So what we're producing is incredibly high quality. We have really good control of the process throughout with the vessel system that we've built. And then every process at the end is confirmed to be high quality with the testing that we do. So very high nutrient, very healthy, completely safe for humans, plants, wildlife, animal life. Oh, wow. I guess the term we used to use for high quality gasoline when this was a kid, when I was a kid, like in the 60s. Oh, my dad would pull into the gas station and say, give me the high test. So <laughs> high, test, high test, give me the high test soil. This, this, is, the high test soil. this is the this is the rose for the soil. There. <laughs> the good stuff. <laughs> it's the good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. What if the person was on chemo? There are certain illnesses. Uh-huh. Chemo is not one of them. And I can't remember exactly what they are because they're very rare. It's things like prion disease. You died from extreme radioactive exposure, that sort of thing. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. You can't undergo this process because you're returning sort of radioactive soil to nature. The number of people who fall into that actual category are very small. But the process itself, the microbes, the temperature you reach kill harmful pathogens as part of the process. Mm -hmm. And that's also what we're testing for at the end to make sure that what we've produced mm -hmm. is fit to be returned to families and, and nature. And is this term soil transformation... Is that the name of the process or is this the Earth's company? Like, yeah. What is the name? So this is an external Earth name, but it is an Earth name. The legal okay. name for this is natural organic reduction. Natural organic reduction. Exactly. It's a bit of a mouthful, which is why we've moved away from it. It's also not sexy. Not sexy. <laughs> no, but this is what it's getting legalized as. Soil transformation is. I think soil transformations, yeah, it, <laughs> it does what it says in the tin and less than nothing for sure. I have a question about the terminology. How in the world did you trademark the word earth? Without getting too much into trademark law, you trademark against a class. We've trademarked earth in the context of funeral service. Okay. Not more broadly than that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com.
So we've talked about the environmental benefits that are exclusive to this process over cremation or just simply putting a body in the ground. And so I've really learned something about that. And I'm thinking I literally just a few weeks ago buried my dog in the backyard under a tree. And there was some question about whether or not it was far enough away from the well. And there were all these things. And I just thought, wow, over the millions of years that human beings have been on the planet, how much thought has gone into where we place our dead. And it's a big thing, especially, I guess, with the number of people we have on the planet now. And these figures you give of the number of people that are going to be passing and we need to dispose of the bodies. And it's really an eye-opening concept that, it is. as you say, not very sexy and we don't want to think about it very much. So, And that's just an interesting urban planning one because cities like San Francisco, mm-hmm. Seattle, possibly more, you can't open or build new cemeteries. They have deemed yeah. it not a valuable enough use of land to mm-hmm. permit new new cemeteries. So it really is phasing out. And it's amazing that you have this trend, as you say, that has existed since the beginning of humanity mm-hmm. that we're phasing out pretty quickly over the next however many decades, I think. It's also amazing how if you zoom out and you look at it, what a flash in the pan cemeteries are. I guess it's only like several hundred years in the span of yeah. like tens of thousands or whatever. <laughs> I think they've been burial grounds for a very long time. Yeah. I mean like cemeteries, headstones. I think modern yeah. cemeteries, I haven't seen cemetery contracts recently, but I feel like you have your space for like a hundred years or so. So you're leasing yeah. land for okay. a period of time versus truly being there forever, perhaps. I'm not sure I may have got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's a finite yeah. amount of time. So I know that nowadays, you know, when developers run across an unmarked burial ground or something, something that happened right here in our town mm. in Maryland, someone ran across a huge burial space that was unmarked and they think it was Civil War graves. And people want to honor it. I don't think it's ever considered usable land. Yeah. Once people have actually been buried in the land. You know, people are, they want to be respectful. And they, they were like, oh, well, it's just decomposed now. We can use it. I don't think that's a thing. Yeah. I don't think it's a <laughs> thing either, which is why just continuing to put yeah. people in the ground is just take up. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's it's when you, so impractical. Yeah. When you lay it out like that, it's like, oh, no, this is like, won't work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So speaking of Earth, your company, Earth TM, what's the plan? Like, will there be, I mean, you mentioned this earlier in the conversation, but will there be one in every city and people can turn there or do people ship you a body? How is that going to work? Theoretically and legally, you can ship bodies. Mm-hmm. I think that undermines the environmental credentials of sleep yeah, by the true, time true. you've been flown in from New York for your uh, conservation <laughs> process. So yeah, the long-term goal, I say long-term, it's not even that long-term away. The goal is to have facilities across the country and make this accessible to as many people in as many different parts of the country as possible. And it follows population numbers. I think I, okay. I'm quoting a lot of numbers. I get imperfect, but I think it's something like 35% of people live in the four largest states, 50% in the eight largest states. And then maybe 80% in the top 20 states. Well, that may be death rate, but death rate is actually pretty tied to population on the whole. Actually, you don't need to be in that many states to start covering Interesting. quite large percentages of the, of the country. And that's our goal. What about England? 
Will you go back to England? At some point, yeah. I think um, big market for this in the US. We haven't even scratched the surface yet. And yeah. internationally, there's been a ton of interest too. Europe, Asia, places like Japan are 100% cremation. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So a lot of opportunity across the globe, I think. So in terms of barely scratching the surface in the US, do you think this technology has the potential to be like really scalable to the point where people are going, oh, now people say, are you going to be buried or cremated? Or soil transformed. Yeah, well, they say, no, I'm going to yep. be transformed. I'm going to be composted. Yep. Is this a thing? You think, I mean, in how long? Like 10 years, 20 years, will soil transformation be added to our menu of options? I, it already is. If you go to Washington, it's already on the, on the, the <laughs> okay. menu, as you, as you phrase it. Yeah. <laughs> I think absolutely. I mean, our goal is to make this mainstream. We've spent a lot okay. of time yes. and money and continue to spend a lot of time and money on making the process more efficient, making the hardware better with the goal of making this accessible throughout the country and then throughout the world at some point. Whether it's going to be the mainstream method of disposition or like what 70% of people choose, not sure. It's a 45-day process. It's a natural process. You're accelerating biology. It's never going to be as cheap, as efficient and as efficient as cremating a body, for example. But I don't see why it can't become 5%, 10%, 20% of the market because I think it appeals to enough people. So the challenge then is to get the technology to a place where we're able to cater for 5, 10, 20% of people. But I think conceptually, it has the appeal to be able to do so. How does the cost compare with cremation? Cost is a hard one in the context of funerals, I think, because you've got like national averages, but it costs massively differs even East Coast to, to West Coast. On a national mm-hmm. level, average direct cremation. This is cremation without a viewing, without a service. It's, you're sort of cremated and, and, and returned pretty soon after passing. Average cost in the US is about $2,500. We're about $5,000. So a little bit more expensive, but as I say, you're undergoing this natural process that takes 35 days. Mm-hmm. We're using premium materials. We're going to return you to a beautiful piece of land. So it's not a pure apples to apples comparison. Right. Do you feel like as it becomes more common and more widespread, the cost will come down or not? Yes and no. I think inflation at the moment is at 9% or something. <laughs> so to say. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> I feel like you just compare prices from 30 years ago anyway yeah. for anything. And they are drastically higher now than yeah. they were then. So I think yes and no. I think relatively speaking, yes. But I think in absolute dollar terms, no just because mm-hmm. we live in that high inflation environment. Yeah. When you think about funeral costs as a whole, yeah. and you think about the cost of, I know many families spend many, many thousands of dollars on a beautiful casket, yep. for instance, mm-hmm. yep. or maybe an elaborate service or something. I guess you can parse it out so that what is an affordable funeral? What is an affordable death? What is an affordable disposition? It, there's many, many factors that go into it that are beyond just simply what happens to the body. So Yeah, I think a stat that is commonly quoted in the industry is that funeral prices double every 10 years. Wow. Which actually wow. is probably not long-term going to happen because you're going to be paying millions of dollars for a funeral in, in 100 years. Yeah. Oh, and people um, won't do it. Yeah. They can't do it. There's a big culture of pre-planning. So you choose what you want yeah. and you pay for it now. The idea being you lock in the price to beat inflation rising funeral costs. You're choosing a preference. Don't leave your family with Yeah, that. you choose a preference that aligns, a feudal option that aligns with your beliefs. And then you're right. It's yeah. the your family not having to 
pay or make difficult choices yeah. at a time of emotional stress, etc. So there's a lot of prepayment in the funeral space for those reasons. Cool. My goodness. <laughs> Most people try not to think about it because you're planning your own death, quite literally. Actually, you're not planning your death, you're planning post-death versus... Uh, yeah. It's still, uh, yeah, it's still preparing for yeah, your own death. Your own death. Yeah. Yeah. It's more and more as I see my parents uh, in their twilight years and the things that are left behind in terms of like belongings and housing and all that sort of thing. It makes me at my age think more and more about that kind of preparation. And yeah, yeah actually, you know, it has made me think much more about it. Whereas I, I think someone like my children's generation, Emma, for example, and her brothers, that's just not on their radar at all. Yeah. I don't know. I think it will be though. I think it yeah. will be. I think younger generations are more and more attuned to this stuff. I think COVID has really driven pre-planning as well. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. got maybe caught out by that with the sudden expense fiddle. I also think we've just gone through a period of time where we've been quite aware of our own mortality, perhaps. And yeah. so I think mm-hmm. there's much more pre-planning post-COVID than pre-COVID. The, I think there are a lot of trends. I mean, in society, we buy a lot of stuff to protect us against stuff that might happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're not planning for something that is not almost certainly. It is certainly going to happen. Um, <laughs> what a good point. And yeah. that's that's not just across the few side wow. of things. That's digital legacy and assets. Mm-hmm. That is financial planning. Mm-hmm. That is legal planning. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into end of life planning that mm. if you're organized with just make everything so much easier i just read this article a couple of days ago too that younger generations are more and more getting prenups mm. and more so to protect the partner from debts because more and more people are going into marriages with extreme amounts of debt yep. so in a way it's totally flipped this idea of a prenup from being like not romantic to make like you want to protect your partner yeah or, may, or maybe that's what they're saying anyway that's the uh yeah I think there are a lot of and you see this in the end of life space with trusts there are a lot of legal yes. concepts that were once the reserve of like the ultra wealthy that mm-hmm. online services mm-hmm. have almost democratized through making it very mm-hmm. easy to legally create these structures we have mm-hmm. seen this in like there's a lot more online will planning that's been a whole mm-hmm. process in itself because you couldn't previously digitally sign wills and that sort of thing creating trusts online that sort of thing so I think the online world has really made this stuff much more accessible to the majority of people and by nature it's just increased the number of people actually doing it yeah how much of that does earth do, I mean do you do any wills or end of life legal stuff no the moment we're pretty focused on what we're doing that's not yeah. to say we can't offer more stuff in the future. Yeah, you're pretty much like, but what do we do with the body? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. that's all you're doing. Which is immediate yeah. concern, I think. Yes. We talk a lot at Lady Farmer and on the Good Dirt podcast about thinking about the end of life of your products, yeah. the things you purchase. And here we are talking about <laughs> the end of your life. The, all the things, <laughs> all the planning and everything that could and should go into your planning, your own end of life. It's really just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I think it fits in so well with our yeah. sustainability theme. And you know what else is so interesting? We mentioned we had a Green Barrel interview about a year ago now. And I found it really fascinating, but it was really uncomfortable and sad and deep. And, and I, this one, I've been like, oh, yeah, I think I'm used to it. But I also think the concept resonates with people more. Yeah. Natural, yeah. It's natural. It's carbon neutral. You're being returned to a beautiful piece of land. Yeah. One of our own pre-purchases described it. One of the best ways I've seen it described, which is my body's being returned to a place of timeless beauty, referring to the Olympic Peninsula. And that's absolutely our goal. Yeah. As we continue to expand or open across the country, 
we want to find mm-hmm. these sites of extreme like national beauty or local iconicness, which I think the Olympic Peninsula mm-hmm. is in Washington. Mm-hmm. And people love the idea of that being their eternal resting place, much more so than being pumped with chemicals and stuck in an urban cemetery, perhaps. Yeah, I will say this, though. <laughs> the idea of the Olympic Peninsula is beautiful, but I have no personal connection yeah. to that. So if I was soil transformed, I would want to be put in my garden. That's an option, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, what if I want the whole cubic yard? <laughs> if I want the whole cubic yard, some, can I have some it? Some people want all the soil. Some people have a lot of land. Okay. And we make that happen. Oh, cool. Other people don't oh. want all the soil, so they take as, as much as they want, and the remaining soil is sent to our conservation land. But yeah, if you want it all, it's yours to take. This is great, Tom. Sign me up. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you have a discount code for good to our listeners? <laughs> yeah, can we like, yeah, you're all digital. Can we put in a digital code? Yeah, um, you joke, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can talk yeah. about it. We can talk about it. Yeah. I want to ask, what does the good dirt mean to you? I think good dirt probably has more resonance for me than uh, most people who <laughs> come on yeah, or, I think so. or listen to the podcast. That said, I don't actually love the word dirt personally myself. And I don't know whether that's a UK thing. I think it undersells in the context of what we do, what is a beautiful mm-hmm. and powerful thing. And I think I prefer the word soil, which I feel like is kind of interchangeable with dirt. Some people call what we produce dirt, mm-hmm. I prefer soil. And soil to me is nutrient rich. It's life-giving. It's ecologically crucial. I feel like there's increased awareness of soil health, but it is really relevant to the, the good functioning of our planet. And I also think as this becomes more mainstream as an option, because I think it will. I think soil is going to take on a whole new significance to people because they're going to have mm-hmm. parents or siblings who've been transformed into soil, which perhaps been used in a rose garden or mm-hmm. grown a plant or been scattered in somewhere very meaningful, that sort of thing. So a lot of meaning to me. I prefer the word soil. I think it's a British thing. I feel okay. like it's more interchangeably used for like stuff yeah. out here perhaps than it is in the UK. Yeah, I think that's true. I think dirt, like, oh boy, I'd love to get my hands in the dirt. Someone would say that. It's, it's an abbreviation of dirty almost. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's good dirt. It's, it's good dirt. It <laughs> exactly. Right. So as we close here or reach the end of our conversation, what would you like to leave our audience with about yourself and what you do or anything else that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about or bring up? If people like the idea of soil transformation, spreading the word because this is our biggest goal as a business now is to make people as aware of this as an option as possible. When people learn about it, they really love it. We're working hard to legalize it and take it across the country. So general awareness, support really helps us. So turning yourself into good dirt. Turning yourself into good soil. Wow. <laughs> or good soil. Okay, wait. I know I already asked you this question. Is someone literally turning the thingy or is it turn on soil? That goes back to the question of can it be mainstream? And when you've got thousands yeah. of vessels and thousands of people turning, yeah. it's uh, not a scalable. And how does it turn? Is it electric? There's an electric motor. Now, you said something just a minute ago that pinged in my brain. Mm. You said something about legalization. What legal obstacles are there for this? So we have to get this legalized as a process at a state level. Currently legal in Washington, which is the first state to legalize it. 2019, actually. So it's the whole, the whole oh, very wow. nascent concept still. Yes. Washington is pioneering this like globally at this mm. point. So Washington... Oregon and Colorado followed quite soon after. Vermont was passed this year. California has an active bill that's looking very promising this year. Minnesota, Illinois, Delaware, New York, Massachusetts. There's very good headwinds, very good Mm -hmm. momentum. 
And again, it's it's not particularly polarizing, whether you're left right. of center, right of center, people like this, they resonate with it. It's a consumer choice option without negative. There's nothing negative to it. There's, there's no reason why you didn't approve it. But yeah, we have to undergo this legalization process, which one of our focuses as well. That's so interesting. Where does Maryland stand? No active bill. That's not to say there couldn't be an active bill. So yeah. when we get back to you, we'll work on it. <laughs> and then once it is legalized, although Delaware is probably close enough, mom. Did he say Delaware? Yeah. So once it was legalized in the state and you would have a facility that was you could drive to so that you're not shipping a body and all that CO2 and everything, then... You could choose, like we were saying a minute ago, could choose what to do with the soil, either keep it locally or have it sent to the peninsula. Yeah, when we go to the East Coast, we'll have land of equivalent local use. And that's the model, yeah. Wherever there's a facility, there'll be, maybe we'll have a menu of options in the future. You can choose which (laughs) part of the state or which forest. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like picking a college. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Well, this was really great. So where can people find you if they or find out more about Earth if they would like to learn more? Yeah, our website is earthfuneral.com. That's funeral singular. You can find out everything about us there. Cool. We do do discount codes. So if we're selling across the country, we can absolutely do something. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, we have a large contingency is that what it's called of Pacific Northwest listeners and customers and people interested in our brand so awesome. I think this will be really good well thank you so much Tom this was lovely yeah. you were lovely to talk to and this was a really fun conversation about like probably like a really not super fun topic but actually I do it, every it day, actually so was uh, fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. it's a great conversation thank you so much for your time very today. Much thank you both very much cheers bye bye Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at We Are Lady Farmer. That's We Are Lady Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye. <laughs>